From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. As we dip in and out of lockdowns, we're bringing you this podcast to keep your spirits up. Every episode, we bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, an in-depth interview, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. This is a song by the Old Bone Collective, Hot Flu, thanks to Seb Gutierrez for letting us using it. Hello and welcome back. Coming up in the show, we have an interview with the wondrous Una Shamfi, a 20-year-old Bristolian born and bred who's been super creative despite and during the pandemic and has now joined Bristol's Creative Youth Network for more. We have our usual roundup. And music this week is not from just one band. Oh no, we have two this week. We have Bristol Idols and DJ artist Master KG from South Africa. Okay, Melissa, time for our interview. Right, so I think, Pommy, we've been willing to interview a much younger person for a while, haven't we? Definitely. So here I want to talk to Una Shafi. She's a 20-year-old Bristolian. Yes, she grew up here. She was born here. She's a very creative person. So, for instance, she's into theatre, acting, but also films, photography. And she has been especially creative since the beginning of the pandemic, while so many young people struggled with work. So she lost work, but then she managed to... um, focus her energy and her time and to remain incredibly positive despite lots of challenges in her family as well. For instance, she participated in the Black Lives Matter protest and more recently she did a project with Rife magazine and she has now joined the Creative Youth Network here in Bristol after a very selective process. Here she talks to us about multiculturalism, being a mixed culture person and she tells us about seeing beyond these obstacles from Covid to racism and of course also about all her creative projects. So I studied drama obviously in school for A levels and now I go to a part-time drama school which is based in London but because of the pandemic has moved online and then I work in a theatre, tobacco factory theatres and I do a barbering and hairdressing course part-time. Yeah, I just try and do anything creative really. Also, you've been keeping quite busy during the pandemic and you've had a lot of projects and one of them was this photography project mm. for Rife magazine. So here our listeners in Bristol might know Rife magazine, working with young people into yeah. different fields of creativity. Tell us more about why photography, how did that come about and, and what did you make of the story? What was your angle? Well, I've I heard of Rife ages and ages ago. I think I went in when I did um, NCS. It's a thing you do in, when you're young. You can do it from like in, when you're about 16 to 18, I think. So I heard about it then and I'd done a film, like a short film you do with BFI Film Academy. As I was doing that, they did Rife documentary at the same time for young people. Again, I think it was 16 to 19. So I'd heard about it because I followed Rife on Instagram. I saw that they'd done a post. So I just thought, why not apply? Like, I like photography, but I don't have like a professional camera. I like film because I always take film photos. I like the idea of just taking one. 
So I've had a film camera, I used to have disposable cameras for ages. But then I just thought, why should I not? I'll just apply with the film photos I had. So I just sent a bunch of film photos and you had to do like a paragraph explaining like what you wanted to do. And I thought multiculturalism just because... And identity, I think I went in with identity, but it's really broad. So I was trying to think, what could I do? But multiculturalism also, because I think I can relate to it, being like half French and being from the Comoros Islands. And I just think we forget how diverse Bristol really is sometimes. Also because I think it is quite segregated. I think it can be how many young people I know who have multicultural backgrounds even just in terms of their parents coming from like Italy or something like that because multiculturalism is so broad that there's so many people you can like encompass into that so yeah I applied and they ended up saying yeah you can before the November lockdown I think it was October so it was just before that I went outside and shot everything outside with everyone which was really good and everyone chose the locations they wanted to shoot in and they are fantastic portraits you didn't do only photos you also tried to to yeah. take photos that reflects some part of their story and you did a long interview with them and so yeah. there's, a, there's a whole paragraph so can you tell us like a few of them really stand out like for mm. instance I remember this Somali girl other people from African background but yeah. there's much more so how did you choose them is it because you felt you had enough knowledge that they would trust you to speak to or was it through friends or did you, did you do some research There were, I think it was all people I kind of knew from Instagram because when you're from Bristol, you kind of follow but like oh. friends of friends type thing. So I messaged them all on Instagram, people I knew. Some of them I'd gone to school with. The girl who you're talking about was in my sister's year and went to primary school together. Again, it was kind of people I knew of. Not everyone I was really close with, but um, specific people. Nadira is a really good example because her family are from Somalia and I thought she was born in Somalia, but she wasn't. I think she was born in England, but they had to leave Somalia. Like they didn't choose to come here. They had to come here and they came here maybe like 20 something years, 25 years ago. And it was really interesting talking to her about that because obviously some of her siblings were born there. So it's very different because mm -hmm. they maybe have some memories or like mm -hmm. speak about it. And I think she's grown up speaking the language, which is cool. But I think she felt maybe a bit of a disconnect just because she's grown up in a western culture mm -hmm. like it's so different and I remember her speaking to me I didn't mention it in the paragraph about colorism in her family as well because all of her family are kind of even though they're all black they're all like, different shades and she's mm -hmm. quite dark and so they that was really like something that she noticed when she spoke to like other family members who are either back in Somalia or somewhere else but I didn't get to mention that because they were only such like a short paragraph but I thought that was really interesting hearing her speak about that and also growing up in such a white community she just always knew she was different and like hated her hair And again, like she drew herself, I think, which again links to another girl who I spoke to who was a half Iranian um, about drawing herself with like blonde hair and blue eyes and always wanting that, which I thought was interesting that even though they're both so different, we all kind of linked in that way, wanting to look like that and how she would cry about it. But as she's gotten older, she like appreciates it. She's like, oh, no way. I love what makes me different. And I think that's such an experience that a lot of people who I took photos of really like resonated with, that they suddenly appreciated, oh, wait, I can speak another language. Yeah. I'm not weird. Like... There's so much more. It's yeah. so interesting and, like, I have a whole other culture that I don't know, enough, like, not enough, but a lot about, I think was interesting. My feel is, like, there, it was easier also for them to talk to you because mm. you, that's your own experience and you were very honest about it. You were not, like, the intruder, like, and they felt like they belonged, maybe? They could relate uh, yeah. to you? And I think it was just easy for them to open up because we, I could share my experience and they could share. And, like, it was just really, like, organic, like... I just thought it was just incredible and like they were all so up for just talking about their experiences and like being so honest but we just all bonded really well and it just makes me feel really like happy that I got to have that experience with them. And do you think you've learned some stuff that you had no idea about? 
I remember speaking to Brendan, who's half Chinese, and just we went to the same secondary school, which is kind of outside of Bristol, a very white secondary school. And I remember thinking about our years weren't very diverse. We were just really talking about the normalised racism and how we thought it was so normal at the time. And then you look back and you go, yeah. oh, wait. And just the stuff he told me, and especially now I remember him saying his mum is fully Chinese. I think one of his siblings had gone to like a party or something, or they'd been out somewhere and someone had said something like, oh, don't give me COVID because they were half Chinese. And this was only about a month ago. Like, it, it was maybe in September. And it just showed the stuff that, obviously, because I'm not half Asian, I would never realise that. But he was like, oh, I'm really conscious of when I, like, cough and sneeze that people are going to look at me. He'd also said that he'd managed... He'd spoken to someone and they'd started being really racist about, like, Asian, I think, Chinese people and had no idea he was half Chinese. So he'd gotten a weird, like, insight mm. into this. Mm. And he was like, you do know I'm half Chinese, right? And I think that was really interesting, the fact that he felt like he kind of got into that world for a second, even though he was, like, mixed race. That was really interesting, hearing his experience, because I feel like men maybe, like, repress it a little bit more, don't speak about it as openly, but he was just so honest about it, and it just really made me think, if these are only a handful of the experiences you remember, like, how much have you been through? And especially how recent that comment about don't give me COVID, like, it made me so angry. Mm -hmm. You just don't think about stuff like that, which I thought was, yeah, Yeah, pretty shocking. There's also an interesting issue is that I feel like Bristol is trying to talk a lot about what it is to be mixed and there's a lot of like tension around the vocabulary, you know. Mm. Is this something that you felt was not a problem at all with those young people? They, they, they don't want to be boxed in. It's more about their own experience going through life. They're not trying mm. to make it political. I don't know. I was thinking, trying to think, that's a really different question. I'm trying to think of like all of them individually. I think that, for instance, one of the guys is half African American. Mm -hmm. I assume maybe he was like maybe Jamaican or Caribbean because like in Bristol there's such a big community and then he was like yeah so like I can't ever trace back my ancestors like to a certain point which I'd never thought of and I think in terms of like the mixed race being like half black half white I think it's because they'll never be treated as white as mixed race I'll never be treated even though I'm half white and half black I'll never be treated as if I'm white I have a privilege because my skin is way lighter but I'll never be seen as white you will in the site we live in you'll always be seen as black which I think is interesting quite a few of them because they've grown up here feel quite British in the sense of they've grown up with this culture so like if yeah, with Brendan, like he doesn't know. He, I think he can speak Mandarin, but not completely fluently. I think he can understand it, but again, feels a bit more disconnected from that culture just because he's grown up in one place type thing, which I think is difficult. I think as you get older, you kind of go, oh, maybe I want to know more about my other culture. And we're at that age. We're all they're all like uh, I don't know, like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen type thing, nineteen, twenty. So I think that everyone's kind of at the age of realizing there's another culture, but because mm-hmm. we've grown up in England, that like you feel so disconnected from the other other yeah. part of it. But you have a special experience yourself. So your dad is French, but as you said, he's from the Comoros Islands. So it's not a very well-known part of the world. I always say Madagascar because no one knows where that is. But you went to live in France for a while. And so how do you feel now? Like, do you feel part French, part British? Or you feel like, oh, I'm definitely British, but I have all this complicated background that I'm trying to, to uncover? When you grow up, you don't want to be different. I think also because growing up in a mainly white area, you're very, I was very, very conscious of that I was different. I always knew I was, I always wanted to have straight hair. And now I'm like, no, I'm speaking French. I was, I definitely resisted it a bit when I was younger, but I, I've always understood it completely. And I went to a French school part-time. There's one in Bristol. 
I went there just to mainly improve my confidence and like actually I wanted to live there like I've never lived anywhere else and I think you can travel but I think living somewhere is very different from like a gap year where you like go traveling or like it's just very different I think totally. it's so important to live somewhere so I feel like definitely feel more confident and more connected to uh, the French part I don't know a lot about the Madagascar or the Coral Islands so I really don't I definitely one day want to learn more about that but I just don't know there's also it's not there's also not a lot on the internet and like it's very hard to find stuff when I was there living with a French family like I definitely was starting to be like oh I understand like France a bit more and the culture and like even though I knew bits of it and I'd only been there for holidays I think living there really made me think oh yeah I am half French and like I am English like I can be both and that's mm-hmm. okay so I, I'm a teacher as well, so I have a lot of students your age who have been really um, bitten up and depressed by the pandemic. They don't seem to rebound really well. And what in the meantime, you were just very cut out from your theatre thing, but you remain very, very creative, right? You did a lot of other things and you have a lot of other projects now. But what do you think was the main motivation and how did you manage to use your time so creatively and always keep an eye on things and projects? I think also because my drama school moved online, so I had that motivation of even for I think it started started back up in like April so I was still doing stuff and then with barbering and hairdressing like that started off in September so I knew I had stuff that I was gonna do like I remember thinking about barbering and hairdressing towards the maybe like March like in the pandemic like last year and thinking I need something to do next year like that would be really good like creative but I can also do other stuff and I think doing part-time stuff is really if you can do that because then you have other options you're more flexible so I think I was always motivated and I think after maybe around like June July I was like oh people are gonna want to try and figure out how to make these opportunities accessible like how we can continue with stuff that you can't do in person so I'm always just like looking up anything that I can find or if I see something on like Instagram or even just if someone's sending something or like I'll always like look it up and like see because I think you might as well apply because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're not going to get it but at least you know at least you've applied because you could go what if I'd applied and what if I got in definitely so I think for me it's just I'm very like applying for everything I can because why not and like when you sent me the creative youth network thing which I ended up getting into I was like, whoa, like, if I never applied, like, and if you hadn't sent it to me, I would never have known about it. But I just think it's so important to, like, try and look out for stuff and, like, try and, like, just think what's the the worst going to happen is you're not going to get in. That's the worst case scenario. I I feel it's a really good attitude. I remember I read something, it was like, just apply, like, the confidence of, like, a a white heterosexual man. Like, they'll apply for anything. Like, why, like, look, they'll do anything. Like, why shouldn't we? Like, we've already got all this. Like, they'll go, like, I'll apply for this. Like, a white man will be like, yay. That's why I'm just like, well, they have all that confidence. Why shouldn't we just apply for stuff? Because otherwise... I just don't know. I think that I read that somewhere and was like, yeah, that's such a good piece of advice. Definitely. So now you're going to do more theatre here in Bristol. That's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, so I'm carrying on with my um, drama school. And I, ju- I didn't tell you that I just got signed to an agency that was attached to the school, right. which is exciting. It's crazy. It like, feels really professional. And then yeah. I did the Creative Youth Network thing, which I want to continue with the photos. I applied with the same idea of interviewing people really? with multicultures and maybe doing podcast, a film on it or something like that, yeah. or like a documentary which I think really want to... I just want to continue with that because that's something I'm still really passionate about. I think that's yeah. only like the tip of the iceberg. Like, I think yeah. there's just so much more to yeah. it. It's like a paid internship type thing, so anyone can apply after. Like, they keep doing it every six months, I think, so it's a really that's good opportunity. Yeah. But that's what I want to keep doing is that drama and looking out for any opportunities and applying for literally anything I see. I always apply. Yeah. 
Well, that's mm-hmm. great. Thank you very much. No, thank you for having anything, me. Anything else you want to say? Or what oh, is yeah. it like rife? It's rife. I don't, it's rife. And it, they do, there's loads, actually, if yeah. you look at all the other black photography. It's a black photography commission, so there's loads of other people who've done them. There was one at Black Lives Matter protest. They took photos, and it was incredible. There's a bunch. So I'll be one of them. Mine's just, I think it's called Multiculturalism. But yeah, that's on the Rife website. Check out all the others, because they are really amazing. They're really great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much to Una Shafi a young creative Bristolian. Master KG is a DJ who dreamt up this beat a year or so ago. He was looking for someone to sing it, and so he decided this should be his sister, Nom Sibo, and together they found the words. He asked her to sing it in the most spiritual way she knew how. And then some friends, unknown to him in Angola, videoed themselves dancing to the song whilst eating their dinner, and you can watch this, it's very funny. Now it's been taken all over the world and you can watch videos of Israeli monks, Swiss cabin staff and now even the Irish Garda police. Master KG says the dance itself is from South Africa and danced at weddings. It's called Jerusalemer. It means Jerusalem is my home. Please go with me and protect me. Jerusalem, Ikayalami, Ilondolose, Uhambenami, Zumangishilana, Jerusalem, Ikayalami. So that was a great start to our roundup and pretty much encompasses the whole planet, Melissa. Yes, more humbly here in Bristol. A whole street has got good news for me. They have been experiencing a lockdown baby boom with no less than six women falling pregnant at the same time. 
<laughs> they are all living in the same side of Clouds Hill Avenue. It's in St. George. And they discovered they were pregnant a few months ago, right? So early in February, the street has welcomed its first new arrival. Jenny gave birth um, earlier to um, daughter, a baby girl, and she and her husband called her Summer. What a good choice. Then there's another mom, Catherine, uh, who's expecting her first baby due in May, for instance, and a third one, a yoga teacher, is due um, to give birth in August. So the six babies will all be born in, in less than nine months. They will be like, you know, street siblings. Can we say that? Fantastic. Six six babies in one street. And the funny thing is, like, in the interview they gave to the BBC, they were like, it sounds like magic. We don't know what happened. <laughs> we love, <laughs> like, maybe a lockdown, global pandemic and a desire to create life. No, no, it sounds like <laughs> rings a bell. But that's, that's that, very funny. Yeah, that's a lovely piece of news. Because otherwise, as you know, we have now the Bristol variant of coronavirus and um, scientists says it's of concern, but it's quite contained. And the government has launched more testing, including in 24 areas of Bristol. And we can remind people that the number of cases uh, are still remaining quite low with some um, uh, early indication that it shows no specifically growth, no specific growth. So it's quite relatively slow. No need to worry. So that's good news. So thinking about the UK, what's been going on? Well, I don't know about you, Melissa, but it's quite sad that we can't visit museums. But it had never occurred to me that they are still really busy with people working. People working to look after the exhibits that have to be cared for, even when nobody else is looking them. So, for instance, in London's Natural History Museum, they have to check what they call the wet collections. Ooh. Now, these include all the specimens they preserve in alcohol and formalin. And and they have to care for the museum's colony of live beetles. Can you even begin to think about what they might be used for? My little poor sister would be horrified. Never tell her. And she loves this podcast, so she might find out. Oh, no. <laughs> shall, I, shall I tell you? Well, they use live beetles. They're flesh-eating beetles. And they use them to strip the meat from new specimens so that just the skeletons are left. Ooh. Um, pests are something that the National Museum of Scotland has also had to deal with. They throw, they've had to freeze a mountain hare which had its tail nibbled by moths. So the hare had to be quarantined and stored at minus 30 for three days. And at the Science Museum, I think this is the most interesting, they have a brand new project, collecting items relating to the pandemic. Um, and it, if you think about... The first woman, do you remember the first woman who was vaccinated in the UK was a hundred and something, wasn't she? Well, the doctor who vaccinated her had to drive the vial and the syringe to the, to the science museum because that, they're collecting it, it's the first ever vial and syringe used for the first vaccination. And they're, everything they're collecting is to demonstrate human ingenuity in the face of adversity. So I guess in a year or so's time, we'll all go and see that. Yeah, it's incredible. Sounds like we're already part of history. Yeah, we are. We're already part. We're part of a museum collection. In the meantime, there's lots of good news around the world about um, green energies and how much people make progress in this regard. 
link or not to the pandemic, but I'm pretty sure it's got, you know, a quite strong link because of the fact that, you know, everything is interconnected and we got to rethink um, biodiversity, etc., in this period. So here in the UK, some engineers have now found a plan in order to turn UK hills into power. So the idea is that they're creating batteries that can store energy. You know, the whole problem with energy is like you produce it, then you have to use it right away, right? So borrowing from old technology and traditional hydro-powered plants, this project will now use the excess green energy to pump water uphill with underground pipes, and the water would then be released and flow downhill over generated turbines when uh, demand for electricity would be higher. The company behind this project is called Re-Energize, and they said the plan could see around 700 sites across the country host subterranean hydro projects without spoiling at all the scenery. Sounds exciting. That's amazing, isn't it? That's ingenious. So, Melissa, I have a baby animal story especially for you because I know how much you love them. Two young otter cubs have been found and they're being cared for by the Scottish SPCA. I suppose that's the same as the RSPCA, but in Scotland. They were discovered wandering the streets of Inverkeething in Fife. The otter cubs are believed to be about three or four months old and they were found by members of the public last week. The pair are now in the care of the officers of the National Wildlife Rescue Centre, And the carers believe that something happened to their mum and say that they wouldn't have survived on their own. They're too young. The staff have named the female cub Inver, I guess after Inverkeething, and the male cub Forth. Maybe they live near the Forth Bridge. I think they will. Oh, bless them. More energy good news in France. There's, um, you may have heard about this, Pommy, um, a landmark court ruling actually convicted the French states recently uh, for failing to address the climate emergency. So that means, you know, the, the general, um, more than government, the state has appeared in court in Paris and has been found guilty of non-respect of its engagements in regards to combating climate change. So this case was brought against the state by four environmental organisations, including Greenpeace. Uh, they described the verdict as a historic win for climate justice. And this is an encouragement for campaigners elsewhere to hold their governments to account. And last but not least, in Paris as well, there's now a bio house that has started to offer a blueprint for eco-building. Uh, so in the same way we are using our hills to produce energy, uh, this pioneering building uses straw bales for insulation and the radiators themselves, they can recycle heat from computer processes. So you remember your fan, Pommy? That oh, my make, computer fan. <laughs> that could heat your house one day. Oh, I wish it I wish it would. I wouldn't mind so much. <laughs> yeah, when my computer go crazy, it could just hit my room. That's that's interesting. It's called La Petite Fabrique, which means the little factory. And officials in Paris City Hall hope that this um, innovative prototype could actually help the French capital reach its pledge to become carbon neutral by... 2050. When I hear that, it's always much too late, but well, it's just an improvement, a little baby step. Fantastic. And finally, a story from Sweden. Now, I found this one on the WeTransfer site. And if you don't use WeTransfer, um, you can still go and have a look. 
It's a site that we use, you and I use, to send large audio files to each other. Um, but but it's a site that anybody can go and look at. And they present these artists from all over the world. And if you go on the site, as I do, to send something to you, they randomly choose one. And, and this one came up last week. And it's fantastic. It's of a Swedish designer, an artist called Alfred Kupler. And she felt a craving to do something tactile alongside her busy day job. So she began to make these incredible wool creations. She made them all for her friends and family, and they're all rugs made out of wool. She's made them completely unique for each person. And she says that some of the rugs are of, are of people, some of them are of nature, but they're all made with this soft, gorgeous wool. And she says it's been the most amazing thing to design each one and form a complete bond with it as she's made it. She says it takes about a month to make one rug. Great for her mental health. And go and look at them. They're so beautiful. Yeah, it's really pretty. It's, 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 you need to see them. Inspiring. Okay, so now it's time for the dash of something exciting. What have we got, Melissa? We have a song from the band's idols or very own bristol band idols it's one of the latest single that was released um late january and it's called carcinogenic and you know why it's so special it's also because it comes out with a video that was filmed in many independent venues all over bristol including and foremost our very beloved louisiana so it's just a delight for people in Bristol. You can see places like the Old Dukes in central Bristol. Anyway, wherever you are in the world, there are small venues that you want to keep alive and see reopen. Imagine that your favourite band from your city managed to film something in there where it was empty and to bring that back to life with a new song. That's how it looks like. Carcinogenic. And thank you to Idols for giving us permission to play it. Thank you. 
That was Idols was carcinogenic. That's it for the quarantine this week. We'll be back next time with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all. In the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you. So do get hold of us. You can, for instance, email us at thequarantinipodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shamam, and... Was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thank you so much for listening. And stay safe. Stay safe.